move on to the reading for today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. Cliff would be doing this, but he's preaching at Avalon. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Marion, for um, your beautiful prayers and also for our reading this morning. Um, why don't I pray for us? And then we'll jump in to our passage. That's our next one. Thanks, Bob. I'll pray. Uh, dear Lord, just thank you for an opportunity for us to gather here together. And Lord, I just uh, pray, Lord, that uh, you might speak through um, uh, your word and me as your servant of it, Lord. Uh, I pray, Lord, that as we come before it, um, that we might hear what you have to say, Lord. We might have ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, we might believe what you tell us, Lord, and in that we might find life. Lord, I just uh, pray for our time now. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Um, but if you wanted to just find the, the, the beginning of that um, PowerPoint, that would be great. Um, <clears throat> that's right, I've got the next one. Hey, there it is. Um, we're continuing on our series in 2 Corinthians. Uh, and we're going to have a look at chapter 4, one of the key chapters in 
the book. Um, I heard this story years ago. You probably should take it with a grain of salt, but it's a good one, so I'll tell it anyway. Um, there was a man in the US who um, was uh, into restorations, and he kind of found in this kind of um, yard sale, junk sale, this old Harley Davidson. And he was like, oh, great. So he pays a, you know, a, a meager sum for this rusted old thing. He can't get it going. He can't get it started. Brings a trailer. Trailer's at home. Puts it in the garage. Doesn't think much about it. The time comes when he decides, I'm going to start working on that old Harley. Um, and he starts to do some research to kind of figure out the parts that you might need, all that kind of stuff. And he um, looks up the serial number. And he discovers it's quite an old one from the 50s. So he, he rings up Harley-Davidson and he asks them um, if they can help him out with sourcing some of the right parts. Um, and he says, this is the serial number, you know, what sort of parts? And they said, oh, look, yeah, no worries, look, we'll, we'll get back to you. And the next day he gets a phone call. And it's um, from one of the execs at Harley. And they say, oh, could you just, could you just double check that, that number for us again? He goes back and he checks the serial number. And he comes back and, and they say, oh, so, okay, look, um, look, we'd be interested in buying it. Um, how about 100000 And the guy's like, what do you mean? I'm not trying to sell it. I'm just trying to find some parts. Anyway, he says, look, I have to think about that. So he, he goes away and the next day he gets another phone call. This time it's from, it's from Jay Leno. If you know Jay Leno from talk shows, he was a big collector of automotive cars and whatever. And he says, look, I'll give you 500000 for it. And the guy's like, what, what is, what's the deal with this bike? And he says to him, why, is it, why does everyone want this bike so badly? And I said, well, um, this bike, they can trace its first owner um, back to being Elvis Presley. It was one of the bikes he bought first. It's been um, bought and sold lots of times since then. And uh, along the way, they, they lost where it ended up. Um, but... Uh, if you're interested in selling it, that will give you a lot of money. Sometimes in life, it is hard to tell the value of what is right in front of you. Paul paints this picture in chapter 4 of this beautiful imagery of treasures in jars of clay, a great fortune that is lying around in these kind of cheap and nasty pots I actually preached on this passage not all that long ago, which is why I'm going to kind of focus on the latter half of the passage. Um, but it was just too important to skip. It was just too good a chapter to skip um, and really helpful for us to understand uh, what Paul is trying to say in the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, let's have a look at verse 7 where he says, We have these treasures in jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us beautiful imagery treasures in jars of clay it's meant to conjure up the idea of um, jewels or gold or pearls or something of great beauty and something of great value kept in what was at the time the cheap and nasty disposable containers these dry dusty um, pots they would make these pots as just you know They'd make them in volume, and they, they're, not, they're misshapen, they're not perfect. They'd be marked and scarred. It might be a bit warped, but that doesn't matter. They'd just be air-dried. They're not glazed, so they're dusty, and you know all of the kind of the pot dust gets on the stuff. That was kind of the cheap pot of the day, um, the cheap container of the day. 
and the imagery he's using is there is this great treasure this treasure of huge worth but not kept in you know jars made of bronze and silver and whatever but these cheap fragile misshapen ugly flawed jars because the point that he's making and he's made this before in um, chapter 2 that we were looking at last week um, the the greatest treasure of all of human history is that eternal life is available to all who want it right that's the greatest treasure in all of history uh, and he says um, what is important is the message not what it comes in that's that's the point he's saying once again he's saying what is important uh, as as we as him as a church leader and he's speaking to the church leaders that are challenging him in, in corinth um what is important is not the container with which the gospel is brought it is that the gospel is brought to those who have eyes to see and ears to hear you know it's like um when you propose and you get out the ring you don't go wow look at that box that's an amazing box you know, the box is irrelevant you take the ring out you can chuck the box over your shoulder right? what what it holds is what has great value not the container itself so paul says we are these fragile misshapen ugly imperfect vessels jars of clay that carry the greatest treasure that the world has ever seen to those who have ears to hear Paul goes on in um, the chapter we've just read um, to share about the challenges of bringing the gospel. It's not all easy. It's not, it's not all sunshine and lollipops and roses. Um, he talks about being pressed but not crushed, knocked down but not destroyed. Um, he talks about carrying the death of Christ with him so that life may be revealed. This beautiful passage and this beautiful imagery. Um, but I want to focus more on the last section of the passage that we looked at today let's have a look verses uh, 16 where he says we do not lose heart though outwardly we are wasting away yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day maybe a sentiment some of us can empathize with um, I've got this problem where every year I'm a year older there's nothing I can do about it right I just get a bit older and a bit more frail and Things don't quite work the way they used to, right? You know, uh, maybe some here have the, the same problem I have. Um, Paul, at, at the time of this writing, is likely an old man. This is likely right at the end of his, he's done all of his missionary trips and now he spends time when he's um, in prison um, just writing letters. That's where most of his letters come from. Um, and as he's an older guy, you know, not in the best of health, I don't think the first century healthcare system was probably very good. Um, he's not complaining about his ailments. That's not, that's not the point. He's not like, oh, my back's sore and my knee doesn't work. No, that, that's not the point that he's making. But he's actually kind of making the opposite. As he sees um, a frailty coming into this, this outward shell, um, he is reminded that this is part of his recreation. This is part of the renewing work of the Spirit in him. The old person is wasting away day by day and the new is being made being formed being renewed within him 
as the old is fading, the new is becoming brighter and brighter in his life. The affliction of aging and being fragile was once a noose around his neck uh, and a noose around the neck of all those that have that same experience. But for him, for Paul now, what once was the aroma of death is now the aroma of life. He sees the aging and the frailty of himself as the aroma of a new life that is being renewed in him day by day. Verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen... Is eternal <clears throat> uh, and here is where I want to spend a little bit of time this idea of fixing our eyes on what is unseen because I think there's actually a great power in being able to do exactly what Paul is talking about here the concept is simple isn't it we kind of get the idea fixing our eyes on eternity fixing our eyes on what we can't see and what not is here is what 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 not is here now um, but yet the application is what's hard. Uh, understanding it's not so tricky, but doing it is difficult. And Paul's kind of bringing this, what, I think what a, a modern term would be, would be he's talking about the, um, the mindset of a follower of Christ. How do we have a mindset that focuses on the eternal and not what is here right now? <clears throat> there's lots of sorts of um, different sorts of research that's being done these days about mindset like how you having the right mindset can really help or hinder you in life um, I heard this uh, this discussion about mindset when it comes to kids and it comes to education of kids you know these days it just seems like every every few years the education of kids just continues to evolve and grow and gets and gets smarter and smarter as we go on. Um, but they, were, they did this experiment where they were trying to help shape helpful mind um, uh, mindsets for, for young children that were in the processes of learning. Uh, and they had a bunch of kids do um, a maths exam. And one group of kids, they said, um, great job, you're really good at math. And the other group, they said, great job, you're really good at trying. And what they found was that the first group was much more reluctant to try new things and the second group was much more willing to try new things. The first group is worried about not being good at something new and about failing, while the second group was um, really encouraged to try to do something new because they knew that's what they were good at. They were good at trying different things. Um, my point being this is that the power of mindset can really shape the way you tackle the world and can shape the way you engage with the world and the people around you. Um, Paul says, fix our mindset on what is unseen, not on what is seen. And I'm, I'm, I'm using, I'm going to use the term the eternal mindset, this idea um, that will shape how we think, right? Shape how we think and how we see the world differently. Um, that our mindset might be focused on eternity, on what is to come, because if we can really do that, then that will shape how we act and how we see the world around us. All right, again, an easy thing to say. But how do you do it? What does it look like? 
You know, what's the, what's, what, what does this look like in, in real life? Well, as I was thinking about that this week, I was reminded of a couple of stories. I was reminded, um, firstly, of the story of Father Damien, perhaps some are familiar, I think I've mentioned him before, who um, in the 1800s, he was a, um, a priest that joined a leper colony in Hawaii. There was an island, they would literally dump the lepers, they would literally sail a boat in and kick them out, they'd have to swim to shore, because no one wanted to go on the island, because everyone had leprosy there. Um, but the people lived in terrible conditions. He saw the conditions that they lived and he um, had his heart moved and he said, well, I'm going to live with them too. So Father Damien lived on the island. He got people to bring in resources. He helped them build their community and all this kind of stuff. It's a much longer story than we've got time for now. Um, he was there for 16 years and he died, of course, of leprosy that he got from the people who he was serving um, at the age of 49. And I think, well, 49 is so young, isn't it? It's so young to, to go. But he had his eyes fixed on what was unseen. He had his eyes fixed on eternity. He wasn't thinking about what the here and now, right? His, his mindset was not on living a long and comfortable life, but his mindset was doing work for the, for, for the kingdom, the work that he felt like God had called him to do. You can see how the, that mindset can radically shape and change the way we act in this world. I heard this story years ago about um, an Indian priest who'd come from humble beginnings and he um, was in seminary and that's the priest school. And when he got to seminary, they gave him a room with just a, um, a bed and a desk. Very, very humble. Um, he was quite happy with that. Anyway, when he became a, a junior priest, you know, came with like a bigger cottage or whatever, and he said, oh, I don't need the big cottage. Look, rent that out, give it to the poor. Just need a room with a bed and a desk. And years went on and he became the senior priest. Had a much bigger house. And he says, oh, I don't need all that. Rent that out, give it to the poor. I'll just need a room with a bed and a desk. Eventually he became bishop. And it comes with a, like a mansion. And there's servants and there's people tending his garden and all that kind of stuff. And he says, oh, I don't need any of that. Rent it out. Give the money to the poor. All I need is a room with a bed and a desk. Now, that's, that's the eternal mindset, isn't it? To know that what people value in this world really isn't important. The treasure that we have is not in the things around us. The treasure that we have is what is to come. The eternal mindset helps us to see the truth in this world, like to pull back the curtain on all of the stupid things that we value so much in this world. You know what I mean? Like, it, it helps actually set us straight. Um, the eternal mindset is like a, an armour that helps you from um, losing your guard and all of the ways the world wants to sway you to one thing or another, all the way the world wants to influence you into thinking this is what's really important or that is what's really important, right? Having an eternal mindset will keep you safe from thinking that the things that are most important in this life are, you know, career or uh, image or, or status um, because we know it's not true, don't we? We know it's not true, but yet we spend so much time on these things, you know? It's like we know these things aren't valuable and most important, but yet our behaviour kind of would suggest the opposite. As I was thinking about this 
this week, you know, it reminded me of something which um, occasionally I, I spend a bit of time wondering. Um, a day will come when we will be asked to give an account for how we've lived our lives. Hey, we, we see it time and time again in the scriptures. Um, it's not really something that's up for debate. And the question which we need to ask ourselves, if we know this to be true, is what are we going to say? How will we give an account for our lives? How will we give an account for all of the gifts that God has given us? And um, when that day comes, I don't think he's going to care what you did for a job. You know, I just don't think he's going to care. Be like, what? oh, janitor, oh, you can wait over there. Oh, financial investor, come to the front. You know, like, it, that's not the thing that's going to be important, is it? Um, he's not going to care about how nice your clothes are. He's not going to care about how clean your house is or how many sporting awards and achievements you have. Um, so why do we spend so much time and energy on these things? Why do we spend so much of our time and our energy on these things that we know on the last day when we'll be asked to give an account are not going to matter? Well, we need to have that eternal mindset. We need to be thinking of the things that are unseen, not on the things that are seen around us. Not fixing our eyes on this world, but on eternity, prioritising the world that is to come. Um, for Paul, uh, his, his mindset is even to the point that when he sees troubles and difficulties in his life, he can put them into a perspective which just makes them seem not such a big challenge. You know, um, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I like that phrase because it's like his troubles were not light and momentary, <laughs> like not at all. As he writes this, he's probably waiting um, a death sentence. <laughs> you know, he, was, he goes through the list later on in the, in the book of all the things that happened to him. His troubles weren't light. He was regularly chased out of town, people trying to kill him. Like... Every time he went to a new place, he wasn't sure if they were going to um, welcome him with open arms or try and stone him to death. But he sees these things as just light and momentary because so fixed is, is his mindset on what is unseen and what is to come. So this is the challenge that we, that we get from this passage. And the application isn't so straightforward and isn't so simple. But I want you to spend some time thinking about that this week. How do I in my life, incorporate this eternal mindset? How do I think more of what is to come? And how do I let that shape my values and what I prioritise in my own life? Let me invite the band up. Um, Rick, if you wouldn't mind um, praying for us.